welcome to your Inland Northwest business podcast. The businesses we all see and know have a unique story that has made them a success. Together, we're creating relationships with the businesses that make this region one of the most vibrant and dynamic places to do business. I'm your host, Doyle Wheeler, and today I have the pleasure of having Craig Brosen with us, president of Hagedon Marine. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. Awesome. Well, we're really glad to have you. To get us started, how about tell us a little bit about yourself and your story? Well, I, I grew up on the uh, uh, East Coast in Maryland, and uh, I'm, I spent my uh, childhood there. Um, my family come from a, a, fam- a large family, um, three sisters, one brother. Uh, my dad had 13 siblings, uh, so I grew up in a chaotic environment with <laughs> lots of kids. And, uh, I guess. But we're talking about business today, and one thing that was interesting, my parents owned a, a lot of businesses, so we grew up in them, and that's where I think uh, the work ethic came from, is from my parents and seeing how hard they worked back then. So I grew up in that kind of environment, and as I matured, I, uh, I went into the military. I was a Navy guy. I really enjoyed that. Uh, go Navy. Watch the Army-Navy game every year. Right on. Well, thank you for your service. Oh, I appreciate that. And then um, went to went into the Navy. When I got out, I uh, started down the path of college, and it just wasn't for me. Just uh, my attention. Um, I have a little ADD, and it just didn't work out. So, but I did go into an engineering school at night, where I flourished. You know, I was good at math, design, stuff like that. So. Um, so then I went in the uh, heating and air conditioning business for about 10 years, 10 or 12 years, first part of my career. And then I ended up going into the hospitality business that I really enjoyed, building services, uh, construction, um, renovations of hotels on the East Coast. And then a small company called Red Lion had hunted me down and uh, recruited me to Seattle in 1994. Wow. And uh, so I flew out there and I ended up moving to Seattle and uh, was in Seattle for about uh, two years. And the Hagedon Corporation was looking for a facilities manager and, uh, and uh, they recruited me and I ended up in Coeur d'Alene. Awesome. So now I've been in Coeur d'Alene. I've worked for the Hagedon Corporation doing many things over the last 25 years. Wow. So I've had three careers in my whole entire life. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and it brought you to right here. Yep. That's where I'm at today. <laughs> that's awesome. So, Well, I'm excited to uncover a little bit about your work ethic. Um, I, I listened to a podcast that you did, I think, last year. Um, I listened to the whole thing twice. It's very inspiring. So I'm hoping, okay. hoping I can ask all the right questions today. So give us a quick explanation of what Hagedon Marine is all about. Our locals around here in Spokane and maybe even North Idaho know it exists, but exactly what is it all about? Well, you'll probably hear a lot of pride come out of my uh, answers to that over the time um, because it was a very, very small company uh, that we picked up. But we're a full-service marine company. Uh, We run Lake Coeur d'Alene Cruises. Uh, We have the dealership um, on Blackwall Island that's a boat dealership that carries seven brands of boats, uh, Malibu, Axis, Regal, Cruiser Yachts, Harris, Barletta, Chris Craft, and it's really uh, 
really nice because we carry most of the premium brands and we also have value brands so we can hit all segments of boating. We also store boats. We have uh, 55 uh, uh, storage buildings and store over 2,500 boats. It's the largest indoor storage facility in this country. Um, the dealership uh, services any brands, and um, it's the largest single-point dealership of service in the country. Um, and then we have our three marinas, um, over 1,200 slips, Boardwalk, Blackwall Island, Silver Beach. Um, there's 1,200 wet slips, and then we have our... Uh, Hagenon Vertical Quick Launch that uh, houses 360 boats in a parking garage, and uh, we'll get into that a little deeper, but uh, that's all the businesses in a nutshell. There's seven of them, so. Awesome. Yeah, and um, for anyone listening, we're going to make sure you get links to see their website, and uh, if you're into boats in any scale, it's worth a look. Um, so what, I'm just curious, when did you know when you started working with Hagedon Marine that it was going to work out and grow? Well, I, I it was a very small dealership, mom and pop dealership, and um, I think our founder, Dwayne Hagedon, wanted it for the land originally and wanted to develop it. He was a big visionary, and uh, I got appointed to run it. <laughs> so when I got over there, um, you know, they were only selling about 25 cobalts a year, very small, small um, mom-and-pop dealership. And uh, we started down the uh, road of developing the land, and it was really in uh, intense. Anything around the water that you develop uh, has environmental impact. Um, it's a very difficult piece of property where um, the dealership's located. It was the city landfill back in the day, um, it's in the floodplain. Um, it, it's just really had some challenges. So we spent about four years studying it. And then uh, in 2009, of course, the downturn hit. And uh, it was a difficult uh, time, so we put it, everything on pause. So I have a lot of vision, and uh, it aligned with the Hagedon Corporation's vision. And uh, as we started coming out of the 2009 downturn, I had you know, my head, a master plan and vision. You got to have vision. Um, if you're starting a company, small, medium, or large, you got to have vision. And then you got to have um, um, people that could, uh, you're the visionary. You got to have integrators that can integrate your vision. So I started down that path and just never gave up. Um, I'm very competitive. Um, I, uh, you got to bite your vision off one little bit at a time, no matter if it's um, renovating your house, uh, doing your backyard landscaping, you take that vision and you just do it a little bit at a time. And I was relentless of continuing down what I thought would be the right path for the, for the location we're at. And it ended up being the boat business it is today. That's so good. Well, uh, so quick question. You went from Red Lion to in hospitality to the boat industry um what what took you there like obviously there was there was some sort of intrigue or interest that like we think Hagedon we don't know how to get there you made it how did how did you get to Hagedon well I I thought that would come up and uh uh 
because I have a kind of unique background between, between construction and sales and finance, you know, it, it, you, I'm, a, uh, I'm a competitive in that yeah. nature. So the one thing I do know in all these businesses is you manage people, whether they're internal or external, you manage the process, whether that's storing 2,500 boats or checking 350 people into a hotel every day, it's all about processes. And then also the last one, it's about the money, whether it's profits, whether it's expenses, whether it's payroll, or whether it's revenue and sales, those three things drive every single business. And I constantly sometimes will hear somebody say, my business is special. You know, mm-hmm. it might be a special widget that you're dealing with, but those three things, Absolutely. if you're good at those three things, you're going to be successful. Passionate about people. I love being with people. I love being in front of them. I love leading people. I love communicating to people. So, um, and then, of course, who doesn't like the money aspect of it? Exactly. You know what I mean? So, um, if you stick to those three things, you're going to be successful, no matter how small, and then you'll grow large in tears. So, yeah, yeah. So did you per, per, pursue Hagedons for this, or um, how, did, how did that go? I came over as a facilities director uh, for the resort, Coeur Resort, when I first started, took care of all our buildings, uh, our IT guys, um, you know, landscaping, security, all those kind of things with facilities and stuff like that. And then um, I wanted a better quality of life. And so I moved from Seattle to Coeur for that. And... Uh, but my natural instinct to be competitive and want to win and want more, uh, that's what was the driving force. So everything, every time something came along um, that was offered to me, I took that opportunity and I was aggressive with it. Like if uh, we lost a marina manager, I said, well, I can operate those, just give them to me. And uh, it ended up, I would be successful at running that. And then the trust that you build with a company like the Hagenon Corporation and the ownership it just began to flourish and grow, and they understood that, and they understood what I was about, what I wanted, and what they wanted, and it just aligned very well. Love it. One thing I'd like to point out, um, I've always wanted to help others with money, and one thing I learned really early in business is that you have to help yourself before you can help others. Otherwise, it won't work. You'll be in the same position sooner than them. You know, It's just the way it works. So there's nothing wrong with having a good relationship with money. Yeah, I would say one of my uh, uh, best things that I love is I love seeing our uh, staff grow. I've seen them, you know, from 18 years old to becoming, you know, moving up in careers and then all of a sudden getting married, getting a home, having kids. There's nothing better than seeing um, the people you interact with grow. But you have a financial responsibility to the ownership to also, they deserve to grow at that same pace. Yeah. So I've balanced that over, and that's what makes me tick is because I can please our ownership. They can reinvest in the companies. When they reinvest in the companies, they're reinvesting in the staff and the employees, and then the employees are growing uh, their work-life balance at home, and that's really rewarding to me. That's like one of the number one things I like most to see. Awesome leads me to my next question, and I'm really excited to ask this one. On your website, I noticed you have a director of people and culture. Um, Obviously, culture matters to you. So uh, can you explain a little bit about um, what your company culture looks like? Well, uh, this has evolved. 
Um, I bet. Uh, paper and culture, it, it was a really debated uh, title. Um, a lot of people like to use HR. I felt that HR is more process-driven. Um, if you got called down to an HR office, you feel like you've done something wrong. Right. The connotations around human resource is not like it used to be. So I really wanted to dive in, especially after uh, you know going through COVID. COVID was a tough period for a leader. You know, are, are your employees going to uh, you know die? Um, the decisions you're making every day, uh, there was a lot of uncertainties, and you, you still had to keep the business running. And also, they have a lot of pride in paying their bills and th what they do, the staff does. So that was a very uh, unique time between uh, business and, and people and the public, you know, and you learned a lot about all that. So as we were going through that and coming out of the other side of, of COVID and the business, the marine business was flourishing um, uh, during COVID, right after COVID, and still is. Um, I realized with this growth, uh, the mental health aspects of people, um, what they're going through in their uh, home life, it became apparent that you have to be everything to everybody. And if these employees, the culture's not good, if they're not happy at home, if they're suffering through a parent that's got cancer or somebody that died in their family, you've got to be part of all of it now and to be successful because if they're not there, they won't be there for your customer. They won't be there to run your business. They won't be strong. So I came up with this idea that we needed a people and culture person about a year ago. And uh, it's really worked out. Um, and, uh, we interviewed uh, really extensively for it because I wanted the right person that just wasn't driven by HR, which just wasn't driven by the process and the legal stuff you needed. I wanted somebody that was could tell me what was going on with the staff that I couldn't be engaged with at my level any longer when you have 250, 275 staff members. I used to know everybody's name. Unfortunately, I can't now, but I needed right. that person to be able to come to me when we had problems how can we solve them? How can we help this person? How can we build the culture? And uh, we got down to two can uh, one candidate. She was really, really good. But then I looked internally to somebody. Her name is Laura Wilson. She worked for us for about 18 years, and she was our business and finance manager. But everybody loved her. So Smart. it was just a natural fit. And uh, when we moved her into this position, it's grown from there. And it's made a huge impact on our company. So there is a lot of companies out there that farm their HR out or people and culture. When you get to a certain size, you need it. Mm -hmm. It's a key position. So so is she over, like, does HR respond, uh, report to her before they before she reports to you? or No, she she's, uh, reports to our HR uh, gotcha. director at our corporate office. Um, and she works specifically for me in our dealership. Gotcha. So she's, uh, the Coeur Resort has their own HR department. Ours has the people and culture person in ours uh, that uh, bridges that gap between the two corporation versus the company. Love it. So. And so because of that, then you, you're getting the engagement that you would have preferred to have if you could have with everybody because you have an appointed person to do that job. 
Yep, that's right. Um, and she's brought, uh, uh, we do quarterly leadership evaluations. So anybody that's a manager gets, ma uh, gets evaluated by their staff. She's following up on that. How can we improve in those areas? And it's coming right from the staff, holding the accountability between the manager and the staff to make sure we've got a good balance between the two. Um, you know, they have a book club, reading leadership books. Um, she just brings a lot to the table. So it, it, I would assume that in your company, culture is top priority. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it stems if our employees aren't happy, they're not going to portray a, 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 a happy environment for our customers. Yeah, totally. You know, so it, it trickles downhill. It seems common sense, and, it, and it's it's kind of weird to just talk about it because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a fanatic about our culture, and I know how important it is in business um, because it works, and you should have it, but um, two people passionate about it, you still can't, you, there's not enough hours in the day to tell everybody in business to focus on culture. It's so important, and happy people is maybe even a better contribution to the community than money. Yeah, it is. I mean, we do a lot of things for our employees. Um, you know, we, we have a we have a annual meeting, kind of state of the union uh, breakfast. Um, you know, there's just you know I, we have an ice cream truck come in on Fridays, go around the property, give out ice cream. We had a beer truck come in on Fridays, donut trucks, anything to do to build the synergies between the different. Um, silos that you could create in a big company it brings yeah. everybody together and uh, the training uh, that you do to help them uh, the younger I, I am showing my age with my gray hair <laughs> but the younger staff wants to see a career path they 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 just want a lot more than they used to which is good yeah oh yeah it's definitely. amazing what do you think the workforce loves most about working at Hagenon Marine I think the diversity, the uh, the, the um, availability to move up in a career, um, not just within the Hagenon Marine Group, but the Hagenon Corporation in general. Oh yeah, I think we have something where around 2,500 employees, you know, throughout the whole company, and so there, it breeds a lot of opportunity for people that want to uh, have a career. I will say that we have an enormous amount of longevity. With, um, with staff. Awesome. I mean, 20, 30, 40 years. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and they stay there for a reason, you know, yeah. so. Retention is infectious. Yes. Seems like the longer people stay in the company, the more it encourages other people to stay. Yeah, the people and cultures, I'm not going to lie, the last two years has been really a struggle with, you know, the hiring. Yeah. And you have a vision that you want to take care of your customer in the utmost, like, uh, professional and way and caring way. And uh, the last two years, there just wasn't enough bodies to physically do what you wanted to do. Yeah. You know, and it takes hard work to, to drive that culture back to really taking care of the consumer. 100%. You know, it, it, and it, but I wasn't the only one experienced. I've talked to other presidents, other CEOs, other companies that really, really struggled with that over the last two years, but yeah. it's, it's flattening out right now and it's, it's in a good place. So how does your culture work with customers and clients that pay for the services you offer? Well, I think they, uh, uh, the forward facing, 
uh, culture, most of our staff interacts with the customer yeah. in some way. I know there's some businesses, factories or something like that that don't see a lot of that. We are forward-facing no matter what. The decision-making uh, to the line level, you know, detailer uh, in the shop might be talking to a customer at any time. And uh, that's, that's a big win for us. We're very good at hiring people that have that capability to interact with people with, uh, you know, uh, we're not selling trinkets here. We're right. selling pretty uh, premium brand boats, you know. And so um, you got to be really flexible with that. And they, they do a good job of it. That's awesome. Down to the dock hands that are interacting with people. So it's, uh, yeah. it's a great culture. Yeah. And they have a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun that happens in the summer. That's <laughs> awesome. Me. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I feel like customers, once they understand the culture, um, it's almost like an unspoken selling tactic in a, in a sense because they know that as they uh, are engaged in an experience with your people and your company, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, they also know how to treat your people. I'm, uh, I'm going to share with you, um, we have... Uh, Dan Gingis coming in to speak to our whole group. Wow. And he is the experience maker. So wow. if you haven't had this uh, book and you're in trying to uh, create good uh, experience for your customers, the experience maker, you'll get a lot out of reading this book. And he's actually coming here to speak to our group. And it's all about, it's not about price. It's about giving that customer the ultimate, uh, like, just feeling that you, they're welcome there. Um, they don't have to worry about something. Like, we we do everything for their boat, so they, they don't have to worry about it. That could be a big worry, but they're running companies. They're working hard at their business to afford a boat. They just want to come out and relax, and that's where we're just good at it. Having the boat on time, having a slip for it, having storage for it, and uh, being able to sell you any brand of boat. And it just, uh, it creates this environment that, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to beat on the car industry, but when you buy a car, it's a necessity. And uh, you buy a boat, it's a, it's a bucket list item. So you might be a little tight at over buying something at some price over here, but when it's your bucket list item, you, you'll spend anything yeah. to have that experience or fun, you know, and, and we want to maximize that by having our staff that can provide that for them. When you buy a car, you probably won't see that guy until the next five years or six years when you need another car, and he might not be there. Our guys are going to be there, and they become their friends. They go out to dinner with them. They become the, the, they stop by the dealership just to say hi because it becomes their experience and their bucket list item and they want to spend as much money as they can on that bucket list item to go have fun yeah and we're very fortunate to be able to provide that that's right and it's also a responsibility yeah right like that's not an investment it's it's a um it's a oh I, i know you say it's bucket list but it's almost like that thing that you had to have it was a goal they they met a goal yeah and it happened yeah um this is really cool. I'm gonna, we're going to make sure all the books you bring up today um, get posted online so that others can read it. Um, I, this made me think of a quote that I heard a friend say, um, it doesn't cost anything to do what you could. Don't do the little you should, but the most that you could. Anyway, I've, that's been kind of my, um, 
how I function in the last 12 years owning business. It's like people deserve the best that they, that you can, you know, that you can give them. I'm going to go get that book. I'm just curious. Did you buy this brand new? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's very, very well read. I love yeah. it. I can tell that this is a priority for you. Um, I had it on the beach in Mexico, so it got sweet a beat up there. So there you go. I, so he's coming to town. Yeah. And he's going to speak to our whole staff and, uh, hopefully I can get across the goal line that these, uh, our guest customers, friends, whatever you want to call them, are having the best experience at Hagedon Marine. We want to drive that home. Now's the time, you know, coming out of this two-year cycle after COVID, now is the time to drive customer service 100%. and customer experience and uh, that they deserve. That I, I feel, no matter what business it, you've been in, it's been difficult to provide that the last two years. And, that, and if you're honest with yourself, it has been. Restaurants, everybody. You know, we've all been there. So, everybody. Yeah. So. so, in my opinion... Coeur d'Alene's grown substantially in recent years. What are your thoughts on the next five years? Like, how's the lake lifestyle enhanced growth up till now, and what does that look like in the future? Well, I don't, I don't think anywhere in this country, if you're near water, it attracts people. So um, there's 17 surrounding lakes around uh, Lake Coeur d'Alene that we service, and but Lake Coeur d'Alene is the, uh, our home base. We're the only dealer on the water there. And um, the community has been found. A lot of people moving from uh, outside of these big cities find the environment in Coeur d'Alene just very special. Um, I would say that it's, it, it's been a challenge for the community, the growth in, between you know, the business environment the last two years and sales and everything escalating to where they have and your expectation of taking care of the customer. It's, it's been a challenge. And, um, I would say that anywhere you can't get a, a reservation in a restaurant in the summer, you have to plan ahead. You can't just walk in like you used to. Right. You know, um, our uh, our sister company, the Coeur d'Alene Resort, is 100% full most of the time. You know, but you got to plan ahead. It's, yeah. it's just become a different environment. Uh, and uh, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, I think a year ago, it was the number one uh, city to move to. You know, in one of the front page articles it got a lot of publicity um if you go you know to events in other places now they know the name Coeur d'Alene yes and I've been doing this 25 years <laughs> they didn't before but when you bring Coeur d'Alene up they everybody says gets a big smile on their face and says oh that's a god that's a special place that's God's country it's beautiful up there and it, it's become a destination for 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 many states to visit yeah. Idaho has become a popular state so agreed it's a it's a great problem to have it is that's all yeah and i'm i'm fortunate to live next door we love to come visit Coeur d'Alene. yeah well we'd love to have you yeah but, uh, um, you know it's uh, it's great to visit the lake there's there's public beaches there's all kinds of stuff you can do in Coeur d'Alene that doesn't cost you money you can come over and enjoy absolutely you know we we like to get over there after it gets over 90 degrees yeah our uh uh, daily scenic cruises are great for people. They're very affordable to go out on the cruise boats that leave Independence Point every day. Thousands of people do that. And if, 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 if you know, you can't, uh, a boat's not in your car, you can still get out on the water and enjoy it. You can go do a rental fleet at our rental operation at the Boardwalk Marina. You know, there's plenty of ways you can get out on the water if you're not, 
you know, up to the task of buying and purchasing a boat. There's plenty of other ways to get out there and enjoy it, including awesome. the beaches. Yeah. Take your paddleboard. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I've heard on podcasts and around the country um, in different ways that Hagedon Marine is the largest boat dealer in the country. Um, uh, it's the largest service center uh-huh. in the country. Okay. There's many boat dealers that are larger than us, and then there's also boat dealers that um, um, that have multiple stores. So there's some out there that have 40, 50, 60 stores. Gotcha. You know, uh, there's the One Waters of the world, the Marine Maxes. They're mostly on the East Coast. Um, where we th- thrive in is service. Our service center is huge, and people come from all over the country that are in the boat business to see how we do our processes. We're servicing 3,000 boats uh, before the 4th of July. So it's a big undertaking, and I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, in 2017, uh, we built the service center, and um, it's, it's taken off since then. And, and you got to have service if you're going to sell boats. And uh, you're not going to win at selling boats unless you have service. So um, we do have the largest indoor storage, though, of anybody. So I, I'm pretty proud of that. Tell us about that. Well, because it's huge. It started, I was on a, a trip with Mr. Hagenon back in 2005 or six, and uh, uh, we were coming home and he says, Craig, uh, you know, apartments rent year round. Why don't you rent your slips year round? And I said, well, it's, it's cold in the winter. He says, well, I'm not saying that. Why don't you just store the boat and make it convenient for them? They pay one fee, you know, for the whole year. They can go in the water when they want and they can be in storage when they want. And he said, uh, I want you to do it for all the marinas. And I said, oh, you know, this we were very small at the time. I said, how about if I just start with one over the next two years? And then we agreed to that. And he said, I want you and uh, Brad Hagenon to go out and find a piece of property. So we found 81 acres. And Dwayne goes, um, Mr. Hagenon at the time goes, uh, I want to uh, build 50 buildings. And I thought, well, he, this is a visionary, you know. And Brad and I are kind of chuckling and thinking, well, I'll probably be gone by the time we get to 50 buildings or, you know, won't be in this business or be in the ground. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, sure enough, we permitted it for 50 buildings and uh, just last year hit 50 buildings and we have um, an agreement with the county to go up to 92 buildings over the next, you know, 20 years or whatever. But so we store 2,500 boats inside and, uh, and uh, it's quite the undertaking. It's like a little city that has roads in it. There's name street names, and you know it's. Wow. Uh, and uh, we constantly got three, four, or five buildings going up. And uh, we have ten truck, ten trucks. You know, six are going in and out of this facility every day, taking boats to and from the water and servicing 17 surrounding lakes. So um, it, he was right, you know. So um, that's, that's vision. That's vision. That is so. That's literally a disruption in the. His point was, you want to make it as convenient as possible for anybody to own a boat. You don't want to. You know, you can't put them in your garages anymore. You can't uh, CCNRs around developments. You can't leave them outside. You can't leave them beside the house. And 
he, he was uh, right. It just you got to make it easy for people. Most people come in and uh, they say, "Well, where am I going to store this?" And when we say, "Well, we'll take care of that," they're like all in. They just you know they don't want to fool around with anything. They right. want just they want to show up and have fun. So their boat's literally always at the lake. Yeah, it's either at the lake or in storage, and it's ready. For, they don't have to worry about it. No trailer. Yep. Well, some they still have trailers to get them back and forth, but there is about four or five hundred. When you get above twenty-eight feet, we don't have trailers with those boats. But anything below twenty-eight feet usually has a trailer. Gotcha. All right. I want to know a little more about the service center. Sounds like that's a passion. Um, I heard on a podcast that you went and hung out at the Toyota Service Center to figure out how to structure yours. Yeah. So. You know, you don't want to recreate the wheel. So I went to, I visited RV companies. I visited um, uh, the Toyota Service Center. There's, there's nobody that does it better service-wise than Toyota. They have it down to a science. When the demographics that they go into, if it's a community of 25,000 people, they build a store at this size and a service center at this size. They go in with 5 million people. They build a service center and a dealership at this size. And it's really mapped out. So I, I studied that. Uh, uh, Mr. Hagedown was a, a he studied a lot, <laughs> and you he you had to have every question answered before we would go out and build something. That's what part of our success. We're very very detailed at what we do when we do a construction project before yes. it comes out of the ground. Um, it, it's probably three or four years of of development of the blueprints, the drawings, the operational needs, and how it's going to service and, and the ROI of it. So I did that for a couple of years and, um, and really learned from them and, and came back. And our industry suffers in this way. We're good at selling boats, but it was tough at servicing them. And we were outgrowing the pace of servicing them. We were outselling the pace of servicing and it was just the right time. And, uh, and, this facility has, uh, you know, 24 double bay doors, and uh, it can handle, uh, you know, the 3,000 boats that we do, and it, it's just like a pr- production center, and it's more like a factory. And if you approach it like that, and I'm not gonna say we're the we're the best at it. We're constantly trying to improve and improve the processes and make it better. Yeah, um, you know, so um, and we do that every day. If you think back, um, just these are some small things that I can remember from the past is, you know, if we went out to look for a customer's trailer, it might take two hours. It's one of the white trailers out in the field, right? Well, right now we got so many processes. Every time that boat is moved on our process through service, it gets logged and it's in an app. And on the island last year at the service center, we moved 110,000 boats. Because they're wow. going into a bay, out of a bay, they're going to detail, they're going out and they're waiting for a part, they're getting launched into the water. So this whole process evolved over time. And uh, if you look at our service center, people fly in to see this process in, in, in action. Um, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. We've still got a lot of improvements to get better. Um, but if you walk through it, it has overhead oils, it has overhead electric, overhead uh, air. You can run the boats in the facility. Um, it, uh, it's just a state-of-the-art for the boat business. And uh, we, we typically, the boat business has not been good at that. 
you know, gotcha. over, over the years, but it has to involve the price of boats, the expectation, customer expectations are the ones that are pushing that, that it's got to get better. So, wow. I did, I, that's super fascinating. I never, I mean, well, that's why I have it here. I mean, because it's amazing. You also got to remember a car goes in on four wheels, it comes out on four wheels, a boat goes in on four wheels and leaves by itself, and then the four wheels go somewhere else. So oh, you yeah. have a separation of the boat and the trailer. Make it, you know, you got to store another 2,000 trailers off site too at the same time. So it has a lot of moving parts. Oh, my word. Um, well, tell us about like parts itself. Do you store, do you like order everything or do you well inventory? Well, if you're being in the inland northwest, you don't have access to a lot of big parts uh, suppliers. So we had a, a culture that we were going to try to stock as much as we could. We're stocking about $1.5 million worth of parts to try to keep people on the water. That's the mission. Um, you know, if, if you have something small wrong with your boat, you can still use it. Once you get to a certain point in July 4th, you want to keep people on the water. That's the main mission is to keep them on the water, and you try to have the, the parts in stock for all the brands you carry and, and all the brands that you could service in, in stock. So that's a, that's a big deal. There's most car dealerships would only have twenty to $25,000 in, 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 in parts because they can have from big warehouses like the Toyota warehouses in Oregon, and they can just draw from it, and they can have it overnight delivered to them yeah. every night. Well, the boat business is not like that. You know, it's, gotcha. it's still a handmade uh a handmade object you know boats aren't, aren't done, coming down an assembly line with uh, robotic arms building they're still built by people by hand and the parts are just as hard to come by because of the seasonality of it so we try to keep a good quantity on hand to keep people boating that's a good point I never, a lot of things i never thought of there um so tell us about core custom very interested to understand about the wood boats i'm a i'm a craftsman at heart so i have a feeling it's going to in, involve some good story well it uh we kind of started our uh, uh roots we actually bought um the resort boat shop in post falls was one of the first businesses we bought it was just a service center and um, we had the marinas at the time but we didn't have service and a lot of our customers were coming to us you got to store my boat you help, how can you help me service it so we bought this small uh, business, and uh, it was it was called the Resort Boat Shop, and they also built wood boats at, at the time there. That was around 2000 and, uh, 2002. And um, so I came along in 2005. Uh, they were building wood boats there, and they, when we bought it, they had stopped building them. But the staff was still there. So I came along, and so said, you got all this talented staff, and... Um, we had a couple of customers that wanted to build wood boats, so we started our own brand. Um, it's called Core Customs, and uh, we just delivered a fantastic boat to Wayne and Janet Gretzky last year, uh, over a million-dollar boat, 38-footer, hand-crafted, 7,000 man-hours in it. Um, it's The talent in our wood boat shop is unbelievable to take a, a, a rail cart of wood that comes off and get drying and then go through the saws and then come out to what it looks like on a wood boat it's just it, it, there's nothing like it no. anywhere 
No, and the photos I've seen of those wood boats are on point. Amazing. Um, do you ever do tours of the shop? I'd love oh, yeah. to come see it. Anybody can come by anytime. Awesome. I'm on my way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that brings up another question. Luxury and wealth are a dominant driver in Coeur d'Alene's economy. So how do you tailor the business to ser serve and accommodate those customers? Well, um, it's, uh, there's only 1% of the public or less buy a boat. Interesting. And it's a niche market no matter where you're at. If you're in Coeur d'Alene or anywhere, it's only 1% of the public. Um, so we are very fortunate in Coeur d'Alene um, to have the, uh, maybe the wealth we have uh, of people that like to visit and have a cottage there in the summer. You know, um, I look at those, that kind of environment that we're, we're very lucky to have it because they're paying for the school districts, they're paying for the infrastructure and everything, and they're only there for eight weeks or 12 weeks. Right. So it's a good mix in my mind. Now, do we have some really high-end customers that are, uh, you know, Tony Robbins is one that, uh, that comes to mind that when he flies in, you know, he's used to, uh, being communicated all over the world, different time zones and stuff. He comes in at three in the morning. Our staff is there to put him on his boat, let him go on his way to his house. And so we have a lot of that that you really got to step up to the challenge because they don't have the time, you know, and the time's the biggest uh, factor for them. And sure. we've got to cater to that time. But I will say that. Our Hagadon culture is not just built around that customer. We love the the 20-foot Sea Ray guy, anybody that's coming into our parts. I mean, we've never really set our sights on. We want anybody that's a paddleboard, kayak, boater, jet skier, yachter, we, we want to service them all. We really do. But it is, uh, it's a lot of fun when you get to, to enjoy some of the celebrity types that are there. Yeah. Um, and that's putting a lot of trust in your crew, too, your, your staff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, I mean that's, a that's a responsibility that's bigger than the company. Yeah. Most of these individuals have handlers, and, you know, uh, and that they, once they get along with somebody at our dealership and they're in, you know, in communication with them and they're comfortable with them and they trust them, they're a customer for life. Awesome. It's all about their time at that point. Gotcha. You know, so. That's cool. Well, um, so get, I want to get a little personal with you because um, it's been a fun conversation so far, and I think there's going to be some there's going to be some good things coming here. So, what would you say or to encourage a business owner in, in our community to inspire them to just keep on going? Well, I um, you got to be competitive. You got to want to win, and um, but you got to do it professionally. Um, you got to do it with encouragement. You got to do it with leadership. And when you're a small business owner, you know, you're, you know, you're doing everything. You're doing the sales, you're doing the marketing, you're doing the operations, you're doing the finance. And uh, I've almost been very lucky to go through the whole process of being that person and then transforming into the visionary you know over the 25 years you know so i've seen it all and then you get to a point where 
you got to trust people. You know, when you start getting bigger, I know it's hard uh, to hire a, a general manager or a salesperson as you're growing, and, and are they going to have the same um, vision or passion that you have, but you got to trust in that system and get the right people. I would say I'm very, very fortunate at this point in my career that I have a leadership team of seven people, two general managers, the people and culture person, our director of operations for the marinas, um, our cruise boat general manager, our uh, dealership general manager, our marketing manager, and um, to now all of a sudden become the mentor, the you know, just the decision maker, and then bring the uh, solutions and issues to me when – you know, if you think back, if you're just starting out, you got to do all that stuff yourself. Yeah. And it, it, it's a lot, you know, but as you grow, also the responsibility on your shoulders becomes all, uh, you know, a burden and bigger too that people don't realize that an owner has to endure while he's growing the company. Yeah. You know. So do you feel like that's something that's an acquired skill over time or is it something that people are just natural at? I think it can be um, both. You know, I think some people would have to work at it a little harder and uh, really, you know, read a lot of leadership books and try to understand what they're going through personally to try to uh, release some of the uh, tasks that they would normally do to somebody else that, that, uh, to release that uh, trust in them and transfer that, you know, over to a, a, a director of sales or a director of marketing and, you know, that you were used to doing it one way. And uh, I, you got to uh, endure and accept change. Yeah. That's, that people are hard at that. I love it. I love change. I love it. Uh, you know, what the next thing could be that I couldn't uh, think about, you know. And uh, now I'm very fortunate this at this point that I'm having um, – this rock star group that's really driving everything, you know, and I like doing it by committee. I like listening to them. I like their ideas, their passion. And then I like me making the final decision one way or another and letting them go do it. And that's really enjoyable now. Yeah. It's hard to get to that point. Um, all right. So that was, thank you. Good encouragement. <laughs> it's interesting. Like, you don't have to own a business to, you have to own your position. You know what I mean? Like um, being the president at Hagedon means that you have to, you're, you're going to have ownership, but not necessarily on, on paper. But, um, well, I mean, it could be, but anyway, you know what I'm trying to say? Like um, one of the things I, I that's love. A, that's a very good point. You know, um, I'm in a very unique situation. The Hagedon family has been very, very kind to me and my family over the years. But, the way that the founder of this company set it up, he didn't have a lot of overhead in his corporate office. He gave the tools that you needed to go do what you needed to do, and then you had to take ownership of it like it was your own. And, you know, that's, that's a great way to, you know, run an operation. That's a, a big company. That's a great way to do it. You can't micromanage people today. They're, yeah. they're too smart, you know. 100%. It's in our company culture to act like an owner. Yes. We, we want everybody to be responsible for awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good problem. So I feel like 
the business scene in the Inland Northwest is gaining momentum every year. Um, just just from what you've seen around the community and things like that, is there any projects that are getting you excited? Is there any projects you're doing that get you excited for the future of the area? Um, I, I do see a lot of growth. It's, it's hard to believe when you drive through Coeur d'Alene, you just can't imagine the, the buildings and stuff going up. I just, I hope we do it responsibly. And I think there is, um, there is checks and balances that go through the cities and city planning and, and, uh, and um, you know, through the different agencies and stuff that make Coeur d'Alene pretty special. I sit on a board right now um, that the governor appointed us to about uh, some of the phosphorus in the lake and how we can manage the lake. And we just uh, allocated $30 million to the Lake Coeur d'Alene um, different projects to try to keep the lake healthy because it's really everybody's responsibility. And it, it was good that we had, uh, you know, some uh, council members, commissioners, um, some public, some business people, the tribe, and all of us come together to, you know, to allocate this, these funds and do the best thing for the community. And uh, that's a big deal to where are we going to be in 10 years or 20 years or 30 years from now? And if that lake is not healthy, that whole community dies. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm excited about that, that people can work together like that. You know, don't always see eye to eye on everything, but I think Coeur d'Alene does a pretty good job of, of, of managing that, you know, as, as they grow. Um, That's cool. So That's awesome. Well, let's get really personal. I want to know, we have kind of a theme going with our podcast, and uh, we're, we're unlocking our guests' favorite places to eat and hang out. So um, we'll just start in the big scope. What do you love most about Coeur d'Alene and or Spokane? Um, I, I think it's the outdoors. It, it's just, I, I bike over to Spokane. I've, I've uh, uh, you know, I, I, I run a lot. I think just... The outdoors, there's so much to do, fishing, hiking, biking, golfing, you know, it's just Idaho and, and uh, Spokane and uh, Eastern Washington gives you so much offer for families to do. It's, it's unbelievable. Four seasons. Yeah. And you're only a few minutes from everything. Yeah. Yeah. Including the airport. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Which makes you an hour from the beach. Um. So where's your favorite place to eat in Coeur d'Alene or Spokane? I don't know if that might get me in trouble in well, the restaurants we own. <laughs> but Cedars, it's got to be one of the best places because awesome. it's on the water. I'm a boat guy, and you can pull up to Cedars and eat. It's, it's just magical when you're there. That's cool. You know, so I love Cedars. That's cool. Favorite coffee shop? I go to Starbucks every morning, but uh, there's a caveat to that. I have a lot of energy. I don't sleep much, but I haven't had caffeine in over 20 years. None. Zero. And I only sleep about four to five hours a night. So it just naturally energized. I'm naturally just excited about everything. That's I'm cool. just passionate about it. But I love one Starbucks decaf every morning. Favorite activity in Coeur d'Alene or Spokane? Well, um, I've always got goals. I, I guess that comes from the business side. Uh, right now, I love hiking. Um, I've done a um, a few Ironmans. I've run about 20, 25 marathons. Um, uh, the big thing that I got on my uh, radar right now is called Eversting. 
Uh, it's not Mount Everest. It's called Everesting. And uh, June 8th, I'm going down to Sun Valley, and you have to uh, climb 30,000 feet of elevation in, um, in uh, 36 hours. So I've been training for that. I was up at Scotchman's Peak this uh, Sunday for Easter. I climbed up to the top of Scotchman's Peak, but it was a three-hour trek into the trailhead in snow. So I was snowshoeing. I was the only guy up there. I really love, love the outdoors. It helps me think. It balances me out exercising, and I just love it. Makes me a better person. And it helps you win. Yeah. Um, so would you say that having goals with outdoor everything help you in business? Yeah, it does. I, I, I think, you know, there's a saying, you know, when you, we were talked about when you're starting these business that you're, the, you know, you're, you're everything to sales, marketing, operation. You know, it's good to get out of your business also instead of working in the business is to work on the business. And that's a very difficult transaction, uh, transition to go from, you know, doing it all to that and I think these outdoor activities, you know, they help me think and, uh, you know, come up with ideas. And sometimes I have a hiking partner, uh, Bill Regan. He's the president of the hotel uh, and res resort operations in general. And when we hike together up Canfield, we come up with a lot of ideas and feed off of each other because they're totally two different businesses. So awesome. getting out and away from it helps you in the business itself and setting goals for sure. Love it. I agree 100%. Um, so if you were starting a new business in Coeur d'Alene or Spokane, what's the first thing you would consider to start it off on the right foot? <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough one. Well, I mean, to get it off on the right foot, you got to be passionate about it. There you go. You know, um, it's, it's one thing if it provides for your family. It's another thing if you're passionate about it, you know. Um, you don't want to go to work unhappy every day, you know, so True story. you're passionate about it. I think that's what drives everything. And uh, you got to start there, uh, whether it's a coffee shop, whether it's a daycare center, whether it's a boat business or whatever. Um, you have to be passionate about it for sure. Agreed. Else I don't think you'll be successful at it. No, and that's also a good reason to pivot. If you're not liking what you're doing, it's time to change. Yeah. And if you don't like how your business is going, it's time to change. It's just the way it is. I don't know how else to, I, and I think that's the acceptance of change um, that, that actually makes goals, con, you know, work. Yeah, I did, I did, uh, I was thinking about something before I was coming over here. You know, there's, there's the four modes of business that I've always uh, kind of thrived in. Somebody uh, explained this to me years ago. And we talked about, we can imagine people, processes, and money. Um, but one of them, one of the four is the troubled business. If you're, like, not being able to pay payroll and, you know, taking deposits to pay expenses and you're moving stuff around, you're probably in the trouble part of the business. And the next one is kind of the even keel business. Guy knows how much his profit is every year, does the same thing every year consistently, but the problem with that model is that somebody's going to catch you and a competitor's going to roll right over you, you know. And then after you get to the third tier, you're kind of, you might uh, get sucked into the uh, ego know-it-all mode. And you're the one that has to make all the decisions. You know it all. Nobody else does anything better. And, 
you're going to end up in the trouble mode if you're like that. So the one that I always uh, strive to uh, be like is you got to be in the never, ever lasting process improvement mode constantly. No matter what it is, you've got to be in that mode. Somebody's going to catch you and roll over you. You're not providing the best of service. You're not doing the best for your employees. you got to constantly be in that mode. And it's hard. Some people just want to relax, and uh, but you can't, else you won't be successful. Yeah, agreed. Um, well, I think we've pretty much covered everything that I wanted to, and I know your time is precious, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come down here and over here, I guess, and uh, have, a, have a conversation. Um, I learned a lot, and I think everybody listening is going to listen to this twice. Well, I hope, I hope it helps. Um, uh, I'm really proud of what we've done. I'm uh, proud of the Hagedon Corporation. Brad Hagedon and Todd Hagedon have um, uh, been great to work with. They have, um, they are all about quality. They've, uh, it's a pretty uh, high name to live up to, no matter what you're doing. So, and, uh, you know, people asked me early on when I was here, just starting out my career, Craig, why do you work so hard? Why do you work so many hours? Well, I wanted to work for a winner. I was flat out. I wanted to work for a winner. I wanted to be like a winner. And it proved to be uh, to my success today is from thinking like that and working with a company like the Hagedon Corporation. For sure. awesome. so. Well, before we go, I'm just curious, are there any books that you've read that have helped you in your career and you'd recommend to others? Well, there's one right now that our leadership team is running uh, reading and it's called Traction. And it really goes through all these modes of business we talked about today. And it is gaining traction in all of the business world and in the marine world. And I would highly suggest that if you're going from a smaller business to the next tier business, if you're going from a $10 million business to a $20 million to 30, it goes over, you know, your vision for the first, the first week, for the month, for two years from now, three years from now, what do you want to be? Uh, this is the best book to read. And, and as a group, if you have a leadership group, to share with them and how you can take your company to the next level, this is, this is it right now for me. So I've actually read that book. I think it was the first one I bought while I was in business. Good. Yeah, love it. So, Well, hey, thanks, Craig, for coming over. And um, I, I want to do this again. Sure. And you can come over for a tour anytime. We'd love to take you for a a little tour through the whole facility. So. Sounds good. Thank you. I appreciate okay. it. Thank you.